puck is dropped, and it's showtime from downtown Winnipeg. Conklin's pass, a shot, they score! Shankly Connor scores! What a stop by Hellebuck! Nikolai Ehlers off the faceoff! Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets, hosted by Jets TV. Episode number 140 of Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. If you saw the handy-dandy graphic, you'll know that Brad Lauer will be the featured guest, Winnipeg Jets assistant coach. That's going to be coming up in just a few minutes. But first, CJOB's play-by-play tandem of Paul Edmonds and Jamie Thomas. Join me, Mitchell Clinton, in the spacious audio suite here downtown. And before we even get into it, I do have to thank both of them for coming in because... Well, Paul's on holidays, but graciously has come into the office. And Jamie Thomas literally got off a plane about 90 minutes ago. So thank you both for being here. Because I thought Paul was on holiday. So I'm like, someone's got to be here to do the pod. And then I see Paul's <laughs> doing the pod. I'm like, <laughs> well, you're on holidays too. I'm on holidays too. Right, so we're both off this week. So I'm like, I can't let Edmonds come in on his holidays and then say, I'm on holidays. Oh, you're on holidays. I came in on holidays. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> oh, the hustle, the hustle culture is alive and well. Um, Anyway, coffee's on me for, for both of you guys. So that's now in the There's public. There's the magic words. There you go. It's yeah. now it's now in the public sphere, so yeah. I have to do it. Um, also, speaking of, you know, vacation on the road, uh, if you missed it the last couple of weeks, there's some really great content on the Winnipeg Jets uh, website as well as the social media channels from a uh, road trip to Minnesota to meet up with Neil Pionk and Nate Schmidt. Some great pieces on Neil Pionk's, you know, childhood home, his hometown rink, uh, lots of great stuff. And also a little pontoon boat ride. No invitation to me for the pontoon ride, but whatever. That's fine. Uh, And also Nate Schmidt, a really cool uh, car collection he and his dad have. Really, you're going to want to check that that video out. He also answered some Twitter questions, Paul. and And one really stood out to you. Which one was that? Well, first off, Neil Pionk, who is quite reserved when he talks to the media, kind of opened up in all of this content. He really did. So he kind of reveals... A little bit of personality on that side and just about where he grew up and all those things. So there's a lot of fill in the blanks there if you're interested in Neil Pionk as a person and kind of where he grew up in Minnesota, that Hermantown area. But Nate Schmidt, I mean, I think we all yearn for every character in the National Hockey League to be as open and gregarious as Nate Schmidt Mm -hmm. is. That's an impossibility, of course, but he is just such a breath of fresh air. And the one question that he answered, it was a two-minute answer, which I'm probably going to give you here anyway. There we go. uh, As well, was about what he would do if he wasn't playing professional hockey. And he goes on to kind of explain the three things that he would do, one of which kind of caught me off guard. I don't want to spoil it, but he said that he would be a welder. There's a couple of others in there, but the Mm -hmm. welder was just so out of left field that I I thought that, you know, if you want to watch more of that type of content, there's a lot more to be revealed on Nate Schmidt and Neil Pionk on different platforms, digital platforms that we we have with uh, the Jets and the content department of which we are members of. One thing. I mean, the best part about this is, you know, Jets TV had done a great job of kind of peeling back the layers, getting to know the players a lot. And COVID kind of screwed us in that department. There's no question about that. So the fact that this is right back into what we're able to do in the offseason says a lot. And I think, you know, with Neil Pionk, you're right, Paul. It's it's hard to get him to elaborate on things. He's very close to the vest about, you know, anything hockey related. But, you know, we've talked to him 
on the bus, kind of around, you know, the dressing room and stuff like that. Great guy. So I'm glad that Jets fans got to see another side of Neil mm-hmm. Pionk. And I think we're all a little bit jealous of his where he grew up because of the baseball. That was spectacular. Park. You have to check out that video yes. of his childhood home because that baseball field in, in, in front of their place is, is amazing. And let's give a little shout out because obviously the relationships that these players have with some of the content department that we work with, yeah. Tyler Escavella and Caleb Schneider, help them sort of warm up to what was revealed. Mm-hmm. And they did a great job, that being Tyler and Caleb, in videographing all of this and then disseminating it, cutting it into pieces and then getting it up for everybody to be able to view. So just a fantastic job on, on all ends, both the, the planning, the content department, rolling it out, going down to Minnesota to these guys' homes and then to the players as well. So uh, it, it is certainly worth your time to, to invest some of your time in going and watching what was produced. By the way, Tyler Esquivel's name now is producer. That's yes. the, you see that across the bottom when asking. We're gonna, uh, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna cut that part of the podcast out, and he's gonna save it for year-end review time, <laughs> which I'm sure is coming up in a little while. Uh, sliding over to the Winnipeg Jets. Last week we talked about some lineup questions, uh, what what the combinations might look like. We're gonna start in goal here, and Paul, you kind of wrote about this a little bit in, in view from the booth. Only one goaltender has more wins than Connor Hellebuck's 162 since the start of the 2017-18 season. That's Andre Vasilevsky. In that same span, no goaltenders had more starts than Hellebuck's 293. Do you foresee, Paul, another 65 to 69 game for or 69 game season for Connor Hellebuck? I do, although I wonder, and this is where these questions come out. Mm-hmm. Where does David Riddick fit in? He's played as many as 48 games with the Calgary Flames. He's looking for a bounce back. He's on a one-year contract. It's an important year for him. And Connor Hellebuck seems to handle the workload with aplomb. But you wonder with the trend now to maybe back off some of the starts and appearances for starting goaltenders, the theory being that you save them for the playoffs. Well, if you're chasing a playoff spot, then you're not saving anybody. But if the Winnipeg Jets can get themselves into a situation where you can take some of the pressure and workload off of Connor Hellebuck by maybe midseason, then maybe David Reddick uh, gets a little bit more of the opportunity to, to mine the net. Last year, Eric Comrie, 19 appearances overall. That was a season high for him and a career high for him in any one season. I think the sweet spot somewhere is around... That 62 to 20, 64 to 18 mark in around there for Connor Hellebuck and David Riddick. But I wonder what the new coaching staff, JT, is going to do here and how they're going to handle that. I mean, your number one guy is your primary guy. As Paul Maurice used to say, I don't really care about the backup. He's got to be ready when he goes. But my number one priority is the number one guy. So from that standpoint, how they break it all down will be interesting. We won't know the answers in in training camp. But the further question to me is this. If it's Connor Hellebuck, David Riddick, and then, of course, you probably have to believe that Mikhail Burden is third on the depth chart. Mm -hmm. And is he finally going to get an opportunity to start in an NHL regular season game at some point? So we'll answer some of these questions as we go along, but I guess proof will be in the pudding to see who kind of minds the net as we go through the preseason because the last point I'll make is Connor Hellebuck will probably tell Rick Bonus and goaltending coach Wade Flaherty, hey, 
hey, I want four of the games, or I only need three of them, and then it will be the scraps left over for probably Mikhail Burden and for David Riddick to get themselves ready for the regular season. And it's hard to tell what Rick Bonus what pattern he goes with because in his time in Dallas, they just had they had a hard time having goaltenders stay healthy. So there was really no idea of what he if he's going to ride the hot goaltender if he's going to just go stay with his number one guy all the time they just could not ben bishop had injury issues the time Mm -hmm. he was there there's a long list of goaltenders and of course jake ottinger was the star of the dallas stars last year and kind of came out of nowhere but there's just hard to see where what the pattern was when rick bonus's last job as a head coach 100%. 100%. And, and David Riddick, we mentioned him a little bit last season. You mentioned a, a bounce-back opportunity for him. 6-3-4 uh, and four with the Nashville Predators at 3.57 goals against average. So certainly some questions in the crease. Another topic that you guys kind of uh, – that we can really bang around here is the opportunity for some big years. So I don't know if it's been documented anywhere, but this guy, Kyle Connor, pretty big year last <laughs> year. Uh, I was doing some research, didn't see his name anywhere. Just kidding. <laughs> it was everywhere. 47 goals, 93 points, 16 games away from game number 400 for Kyle Connor. And I'll throw this up, but Jamie, if you want to take this one. Curious, what what do you kind of expect from number 81 this year? Because he's kind of been, you know, a linear progression, getting better and better and better and better. And, you know, obviously had the big breakout last year. I think something, when you go through rinks in the NHL, and that's what we got to do last year because of COVID the last couple of years. We haven't been able to do that. And I remember we were in Madison Square Garden last year and just listening to the score. Some of the scorekeepers coming down, got in the elevator with us, and they're like, wow, that number 81, something else. Just not enough teams kind of – he's kind of slipped under the radar for too long. Now that I think that is, that's gone. Uh, the, the fact that he has chosen to go down to – or sorry, Pierre-Luc Dubois has chosen to go down and skate with Kyle Connor just to kind of work things out a little bit more, that says a lot about – what those two built on and will continue to build on. So I don't, I believe Kyle Connor's completely able to do, get to the 50 goal plateau or 50 goals this year. I, that's, I think first and foremost, that's something to target. That's not unrealistic for him to get to 60, maybe not, but we'll, we'll kind of see, but I fully expect a 50 goal year from Kyle Connor in 22, 23. I have a interesting sort of take on what is going to maybe happen or could happen Mm -hmm. perceived to be happening with some of the contract situations, and you mentioned Pierre-Luc Dubois, in order for him to either orchestrate his move out of Winnipeg or to stay longer, I mean, they still control him for one more year after this season. But you have to put up some numbers. You have to put up offensive numbers if you're an offensive guy. And Blake Wheeler wants to have a bounce back here. You know that through COVID and injuries. Mark Shifley wants to as well. And I just look at those three guys, if they are driving because they are motivated by contract, extending their careers, or in Blake's case, maybe looking and saying, I've got two years left here, potentially. I want to make sure they're the best two years that I can recall if if this is indeed the end. Mm -hmm. So from that standpoint, when you have individuals that are motivated for individual goals, not selfish, but individual goals, and we all have them, guys, And that can lead to that team concept, that collectiveness being much better. If those three guys are on point 
and they're driving the bus offensively along with Kyle Connor or helping Kyle Connor that way, that's only going to be better for the Winnipeg Jets. So I look at it from that individual standpoint, but then extrapolating that through that collectiveness and how maybe bounce back years, career years, potentially just having real solid seasons from that top six group can drive this team to where they want to get to. And obviously the first step is to get to the postseason this coming season. And, you know, you mentioned Mark Shifley there. I, I completely look at him as a guy that obviously has that playmaking capability. But I've always thought that I think Mark Shifley is going to hit that 40-goal mark. He had 38 in 18-19. And I just think, I, I, I wonder if this isn't the year. You got a motivated Mark Shifley like you talked about. A guy that, you know, when he was here for the Manitoba Open, talked about wanting to have a big year. A guy who changed his training in the offseason a little bit. I just look at maybe that's something that, that he hits. And then Nikolai Ehlers as well, a guy that uh, you know came really close to tying that, that career high of 29 goals last year. He had 28. I just think I always wonder what that next step is for Nikolai as well, who just continues to be so dynamic every single night. And I guess the point is, like guys like that, like Nikolai, will feed off of what 100%. Pierre-Luc Dubois and Mark Scheifele are doing, especially if they have the ability to get him the puck in some of those you know, non-contested areas where he can make some moves and use that great shot that he does have. Mm-hmm. All right. Fresh off winning a WHL as a head coach of the Edmonton Oil Kings, Brad Lauer now joins uh, the Winnipeg Jets coaching staff as an assistant coach. We talked to him about his path back to the National Hockey League, coaching junior hockey as well, and so much more. So here's Brad Lauer on the Ground Control Podcast. Shop where the players shop. Jets gear and truenorthshop.com are your authentic team stores. Make sure to stock up on all your favorite Winnipeg Jets and Manitoba Moose merchandise today. Visit one of the five Jets gear locations or shop online at truenorthshop.com. Hi, this is Nate Schmidt, and you're listening to Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. Pleased to be joined on the Ground Control podcast by uh, one of the new assistant coaches for the Winnipeg Jets, that being Brad Lauer. And Brad, first off, thanks for taking the time out. And the first question that I have for you is actually the exact same as Marty's because every story is kind of a little bit different, but... How did you find out that you were going to be an assistant coach with the Winnipeg Jets? And what was that uh, conversation with the family like shortly after? Yeah, you know, it was uh, obviously um, it helps when you have when you're successful. I think what we did here in, in Edmonton with our junior club, um, it gave me opportunities um, to maybe be noticed as a coach now again. And, um, you know, once our season ended at the end of June, um, you know, Rick, Rick reached out and asked if I was interested in, in trying to get back to the National Hockey League. And, and you know, I told him, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in it, but I, I just need a couple more weeks to decompress from our season that we just had here in Edmonton. And, um, you know, he gave me that time to kind of sit down with my family and kind of reevaluate what we want to do. Um, I was really enjoying the time here in Edmonton, working with our junior club here. Um, got a lot of fun out of it. Uh, was, was having a blast being a head coach and all that stuff. And, um, you know, I, I've talked to a couple other teams and, you know, I, I came back to, I came back to Rick again and, um, you know, I had another conversation with him a couple weeks later and, uh, you know, I, I've worked with Rick before in Tampa. Uh, I, I seen the respect that the players had for him, um, how guys were responded to him as a coach. Um, you know, he's a good quality man. He's a good, he's a good person. And, um, you know, and, and and I felt good. I felt this is a right fit, really good fit for where I was, where I am right now in my coaching career with my family. And, and 
you know, we started talking then and it got a little bit, it got serious pretty quick and it went pretty fast. And um, I'm very excited to, to be joining the Winnipeg Jets. Brad, you went from coaching junior hockey to the pros, back to junior, now back to the NHL. What is the biggest adjustment from coaching junior hockey to in, in the pros? Well, I think, uh, you know, one obviously come up for me was uh, I never was a head coach before. So for me coming back to Edmonton after I left Tampa was I needed to have that on my resume. Mm-hmm. Um, I needed to have that experience, that head coaching experience, um, go through those go through those uh, things that head coaches go through. Um, going back to coming back to NHL, you know, I treated the team that I had here in Edmonton a little bit like an end of little NHL um, organization. You know, um, obviously working with the younger guys and 16-year-olds is a little bit different, but, um, you know, I, I definitely, definitely try to bring an NHL atmosphere here to junior hockey and and work with our guys the same way I would work with guys in the NHL. Um, still understanding their age difference and stuff like that is is, is important. But um, you know, going go, coming back to the pros, obviously you're dealing with the 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 best the best league in the the, the best league in the world, uh, the best players in the world. Um, you know, there's a lot of skills. Excited to be working with that again. Brad, I want to touch on the relationships that you've formed and one of them you've talked about already in, in answering this question, and that is five years as an associate coach, Rick was with the Tampa Bay Lightning, and you were three years as an assistant coach with the Lightning when he was there as well. Maybe speak to the relationships, how important they are in hockey, for ascension in hockey, and how sometimes two guys can find their way from one path to another path, but a path that leads to the same direction as you and Rick have been reunited here. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, obviously working with Rick and Tampa, we've we formed a, re- a really good relationship. And again, um, different in ages. Uh, Rick was actually one of my coaches. I went to, I was invited to camp in Ottawa way back in the early eighties. Um, you know, and I was on that borderline of the minor, minor league player and an NHL player. And, um, I had an opportunity to go play in Las Vegas and that was my first connection with Rick, um, you know, as a person, um, you know, but again, I think in Tampa it was just, uh, the, you know, we do. We I, I I liked what he did. I just liked the way the players were, you know, how they respected him, um, and how they, you know, how how he treated the players. The communication lines that he had with his players, you know, I thought was pretty special. And you know, we just we just formed that relationship uh, in Tampa. Where as as coaches, you know, lots of communication uh, with systems and stuff like that. Just hockey talk. And you know, obviously, we both went our separate ways for four years and. I came back to Edmonton, but, you know, we always stayed in touch. Um, you know, he, he always came over to our dressing room when he came to Edmonton when he was with Dallas. Um, you know, he always uh, always found his way back back over to have a communicate, have a talk about our team and stuff like that. And we just kept in touch, you know. And then, um, obviously, with him making the, getting the change here, coming to Winnipeg, um, you know, we, we reconnected again. And, um, you know, here we are. We're excited to be part of his staff. Everyone's path to coaching is a little bit different. I'm curious because when your playing career was coming to an end, you spent your final year at, in the uh, British Ice Hockey Super League as a player coach, <laughs> something that you said wasn't uncommon in that league at that time. Yeah, I'm just curious when when did that coaching kind of bug start to get uh, start to get a hold of you? Was did that kind of give you a little bit of a feel for it, or was it something you were kind of interested in a little bit earlier? 
Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was towards the latter end of my career. Obviously, I was you know a, a borderline NHL player. Later on in my career, I was up and down through the minors, and then obviously I became a full time uh, minor league player in the IHL. Um, you know, a player that put up offensive numbers, but um, you know never never see myself being able to get back to the National Hockey League as, as my age got older. You know, at, at, during that time, I was probably with Salt Lake City, I believe. Um, Bob Bourne and, and uh, uh, Butchie um, were my coaches there. And uh, in those days, we didn't have four or five coaches on the bench or anything like that. It was two guys, and they ran the team. And then, you know, they started giving older players responsibilities to run some practices and do some certain things after practice with guys. And uh, kind of got the feel, got the bug then when I was still playing about my last four or five years. And I started going to, I went to Roger Neal's coaching clinic uh, one summer. Uh, so I was still playing and just kind of met people, um, meet, meet, make your, uh, your connections, uh, guys you played with, guys that have been retired and, you know, uh, started that way and uh, still playing. And then obviously when I was, when I was done in 01, um, I knew I had to go back and work with young kids and, and work and work my way back up to where I wanted to go. And I thought coming back to junior as an assistant coach was the right, right avenue for me. And I came back in 2002 with the, with the Kootenai Ice as an assistant coach. Uh, what, coaching and playing aside, what was that final year? And in, 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 you're playing pro <laughs> hockey like in, in the Super League in Britain. That must have yeah. been something to that's <laughs> a great memory for you at least. Yeah, I knew nothing about it. I had, uh, it was a crazy thing cause I was living in Salt Lake city and, um, I was done. I was look, looking for something else to do, uh, whether go back to school or do something different. And I got a phone call from Mike Blaisdell about playing in the super league. I knew nothing about, um, you know, when I said, well, I don't like in the IHL just folded. So there's two, my two farm teams, right. Had the IHL and the HL and I was playing the IHL and the IHL kind of folded because, uh, then the older guy, they brought in this veteran rule where you could only have six players, uh, veterans was over so many games and, so it kind of weeded the weeded the far, we uh, weeded the league out a little bit of some older guys and um, that's where I went. I went over to the Super League at that that time. A lot of old guys uh, went over there. Uh, it was a it was fun. Uh, it was something that I'll never forget. I'll go back for to visit for sure. I mean, uh, I I didn't have kids then, but um, my wife and I went over there and we enjoyed our time there. We had a lot of fun. It was good hockey because, like I said, a lot of guys from the IHL went over there and. Um, we had a lot of fun that year. Uh, it was a good experience. Your NHL career really was played on the island in New York, and, and part of that was playing for Al Arbor. I mean, parts of five seasons under his tutelage. Yeah. He's third all-time on the wins list in the National Hockey League behind, of course, the great Scotty Bowman and Joel Quenville. What was it like to play for Al Arbor? God rest his soul. And also, is there mm-hmm. parts of your coaching now that you took from him all those years ago to now? Oh man, I think I get. I think you take parts from everyone you learn from, uh, good and bad. I think. I think you learn from. I think you learn from all guys, and Al was very special. I mean, obviously going to the Islanders. I mean, obviously with the team that they had, the four Stanley Cups and. They missed the fifth one that year, and then I joined the team that year after that. So, you know, the, the, the players that they had, the Mike, you know, Mike Bossy was there, and 
Bobby Nystrom and Dennis Plotvin, Billy Smith, Pat LaFontaine, Pat Flatley, Brent Sutter, Dwayne Sutter, Kenny Moore. I mean, uh, I mean, just a group of guys that uh, uh, unbelievable to have an opportunity to play with was was very special. And um, my first year was with Terry Simpson, who who was in in the Western League, and then Al Arbor took over again, um, came back the, the, during that year, and you know, Al was a he was a firm firm coach you know he was uh he was a guy that demanded a lot but again he had a lot of respect and you know he, he was a great guy to learn from and I, I think there's pieces of his game that I, I I learned and that I still believe in today and uh, along with a number of other coaches that I've worked with talking uh you're, you know you're listing off those names from the Islanders guys that you know like yeah. absolute like hall of famers but you know, the Humboldt and District Sports Hall of Fame has your name in it. You're inducted in June of <laughs> yeah. 2017. Uh, what did that mean to you as someone who uh, grew up in Humboldt? Yeah, I think it's very special to be recognized by your community. Um, you know, it was a good time by, you know, for our family and my mom and dad. Obviously, they put the time in and uh, to be recognized by your community. It's something special. You know, I still like going back there. It's still, it's still home. Um, you know, so it was a very special day for me to be recognized by, by the community. And um, you, you don't realize it because, I mean, it, they've had that for, for a long time now. And you don't realize that the, the, the people that have gone through there that have been very successful in other sports and, and what they've done in their career. It's kind of neat to go back there and see not, just not your name, but everybody else's name that's there and what they've accomplished in such a small town. It's, uh, it's pretty neat to see now. Brad, last question. When you left Edmonton recently to take the job with the Winnipeg Jets, uh, there were two things that came out of the story that I read. One was a good fit for your family. The other, you were really excited about the Winnipeg Jets as a team. So what do you think of this group as a team, and what do you see as their potential? Well, I mean, I got to watch these guys a lot. Obviously, in the bubble, I've had the access to watch those games a couple of years ago um, and I always and watched their practices and, and, you know, got to see their team play a lot. And I, I just look at their, I just look at the roster we have right now. And there, there's a, there's a lot of positives. Um, it was last year and off year, 100% it was, um, you know, but I think there's so much there and I think there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of pieces. There's a lot of good pieces um, to get back to where we want to get to. And, you know, I think COVID is, COVID's been hard on a lot of teams, um, whether it's minor hockey, whether it's pro hockey, it's, 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 it's a difficult thing to go through. Um, some teams handle it quite well. Some teams struggled through it. And I, I think that, 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 I think that it really affected the, this team um, last year and the year before. I think it was really difficult. It's not easy. Uh, and when you're locked up and you can't only go from your rink to your, I dealt with it with our junior team, with our kids. Um, it wasn't an easy thing to do. We got through, we only played 23 games that year, but um, we got through it. It's a difficult thing, but um, I really like this group. I, I just think there's a lot there. There's a lot, a lot of guys that are, are willing to come back this season and, and, and have great years. And, and I'm looking forward to, to working with all these guys. And we're looking forward to uh, working with you. Even though we're, we're doing this one over Zoom, you're going to be seeing our faces a lot. So we appreciate you taking time out of your summer to look at us one more time. Yeah, no, it's all good. It's all good. Now that we have the technology, we're learning. So this is this is the new way, I guess. Absolutely. We'll see you soon uh, with camp getting underway shortly here. So thanks a lot, Brad. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. The new quarter season ticket plans offer exclusive benefits, savings on ticket prices, 
discounts on merchandise, and access to season ticket holder events. Choose the pack that suits you and see the games you want to see. Big thanks to Brad Lauer for talking to uh, to all three of us, taking the time out of a, of an off season that I'm sure he's gearing up for the for training camp. And speaking of training camp, before training camp, there's this little thing called the Young Stars Classic in uh, beautiful Penticton, British Columbia. Gets underway on September 16th for the Winnipeg Jets. Now the roster isn't quite announced yet, but what we do know, based off of a, a press release that was sent out by the Vancouver Canucks, and I checked with uh, the man who knows all that, being Scott Brown. Uh, about these names, and he said, yep, those are the ones we provided. So, names already out there include Brad Lambert, Chaz Lucius, Daniel Torgerson, and Simon Lundmark. So it will be interesting to kind of see how the Winnipeg Jets roster plays out. But guys, open-ended question here, because there's a number of ways you can take this. What what do you kind of expect to see at that Young Stars Classic? Well, there's going to be some youth and probably a bit of a mixed bag. I wouldn't be surprised, certainly, if you saw David Gustafson, who had some injury issues last year and is trying to break in, go there and maybe be one of the leaders. Same with Cole Perfetti. I mean, they want to see where he's at. He needs to maybe get skating at sort of that pace as well. And then the mixed bag comes, like, Ty Bauer, uh, who the Jets, you know, ended up picking up and, and uh, and having an opportunity to have a real good year at Major Junior. Let's see what he's got. And Brad Lambert. And the list goes on. So I think we're going to see a real good Winnipeg Jets group of young stars. That's exactly what this tournament is. But also some guys that are looking to kind of be ready to go when training camp hits. And those are the gentlemen that I mentioned. I think overall, uh, this is an opportunity for some of these guys. I've always felt this way in the time that I've been, and I know you're going this mm-hmm. time, JT, and, and I'm not, but um, it's an opportunity for some of these guys for the first time to put on that Winnipeg Jets yeah. jersey. And there is something about that that we talk about motivation in the previous question and, and topic on this podcast about you know the stars having motivation this year. There's always motivation now once you put that jersey on, it becomes real. It might be surreal, but it is real. There's some ownership there. So I just think the excitement of seeing a, a Chaz Lucius on the ice after he signed now a three-year entry-level deal and some of the other draft picks that have been selected, uh, that opportunity COVID prevented this from happening for the last couple of years it's a great tournament it's not really a tournament to win but boy if you can go three and oh against Calgary Vancouver and Edmonton you feel pretty good about yourself and maybe it's the first step to also getting an invite into main training camp and having an opportunity to perhaps play in some preseason games and this is only the third time I've went uh, because of COVID and so on and so forth. But I believe, like, when is the last time the Jets had three first-round picks? Yeah. You know, if, if Cole Perfetti does end up going, if it's, you know, you already have Lucius Perfetti and Lambert, like, that's already a better lineup than we've seen in, in the two previous tournaments that I've been to as well. So I think that, that part's exciting. But to have all four teams, I know you, Paul, you've been, Mitch, you've been with all four teams there. I've only been with two. And then they had another one in, in um, Belleville, Ontario with Montreal and Ottawa. And both Ottawa and Montreal were stacked. Yes, like they I remember low, that. That was when Montreal and Ottawa were kind of, that's the building point of all their top prospects were at that tournament. Um, and then the one time that I went to Penticton, it was just the Canucks. So um, it was a little bit, you know, laid back in that aspect. But this is going to be a much better Winnipeg Jet team than I've seen in the, in the two years previous that I've been to this tournament. Jet's schedule includes a tilt against Edmonton on September 16th, a matchup with Vancouver on the 17th, and they face off with Calgary on September 19th. All the details as they come available, of course, on winnipegjets.com. Gentlemen, 
Thank you very much for taking some holiday time to come in. We can do the coffee run right now if you want. Right yeah. as soon as I... Yes. Yes, yes. there we go. Yes. Yes, pay your debts. Yeah. There's, there, there's nowhere for me to hide <laughs> in this building. <laughs> Thanks again to uh, Brad Lauer for joining us as well. And thank you to you for listening to Ground Control, episode 140, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. We'll talk to you soon. This has been Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets, hosted by Jets TV. For Jets news, videos, and more, head to winnipegjets.com. Presented by Jets.